0: John chapter 11 tonight. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have had a rough week in the last one or two weeks? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, now keep your hands up. I want you all to look around. Go ahead. I know it's not. Look around at everybody. You see? Okay, put your hands down. Welcome to being a Christian. i, I tell you what, last week I talked to probably five or six people that are friends of mine that I know here and around the country, and every single one of them had the same story. Wow, what a week. And it got me to thinking, because the reason why I called was because I had a rough week. You know, you call to get sympathy out of people, and they say, hey, my week's worse than yours. Let me tell you what happened. All right? <laughs> In the Bible, this is, this is one of the great dichotomies of the Christian walk. We are human, but we strive to live in our spiritual nature. The problem is, they're on opposite sides of the field. And our spiritual nature teaches us who God is. Teaches us, as we read God's Word, what God is like. What He wants to do for us. How much He loves us. How He's going to provide for us. And how He cares about the small things, not just the big things. And then, the other side... I can't believe this happened. Where was God when this happened? I read my Bible this morning. How could God let this happen to me? And we go back and forth and back and forth. Now, depending on your personality, uh, if we're we're reading God's Word, we're right with Him, we're striving to live as a Christian, we're going to spend most of our time over here with uh, God knows what He's doing. He loves me. He cares for me. He knows better than I do. But depending on your personality, the time it takes you to get from over here back to where you're supposed to be can be short or long. Some people, it takes them a whole week to get it back together where something bad happened and it just went down the drain and we're constantly trying to climb out the whole week. Some people, it takes them a day and they're back to, okay, well, God knows what he's doing. But either way, we all have the same response. Whether we admit to it or not is a different thing. You see, as Christians, we've learned if something bad happens, they can't be like, oh, man. Sit down, stomp my feet. Because other Christians are be like, "What, what are you doing? Isn't God in control? We're really good at saying that to people, right? Except for ourselves, right? Because when it's our situation, what's God doing? Other people, hey, Brother Branson, God's in control. And he's like, yeah, I know that, but... Okay? And the truth of the matter is, rough weeks happen all the time. If you're paying attention... Oh, let's do this. After church, don't do it now. After church... You need to stop and think when the last good week you had was. Now, I'm not trying to be discouraging. What am I trying to say? That our ways are not God's ways. And if God has a plan for us, it's not going to be like, oh, Brother Earl, it's going to be a great week. Everything's going to be wonderful. Flowers, sunshine. What a wonderful... No, that's not how God helps us to grow. Here in John chapter 11 is one of the... Uh, most well-known passages in the New Testament concerning Jesus Christ's emotion. It's not what we're going to focus on tonight, but the emotion that Jesus Christ displays shows us His human side. Because we understand He's 100% God and 100% man. And the human side of Jesus, sometimes we neglect. He was God, you're right, but He got tired and we find him in John chapter 11 crying. Now, he's crying not for the reason most people think he's crying, but he is crying. He's displaying emotion. In the beginning of John chapter 11, we find he loves people. That's an emotion, all right? And so as we think about this, here is really where, where, the, where the truth and what we think collide. And, and in my own life, and I'm preaching out of the middle of this difficulty this week again, I should have known better than to try to preach on this, right? Because if you preach on something, then God's like, okay, let's practice, all right? <clears throat> That's why you don't pray for patience, in case you're wondering, okay? <clears throat> but really, you've had a rough week, or maybe everything this week seems to be going against you, or you're discouraged because what you're seeing happen around you, or maybe things haven't just been bad, maybe there's just been 90 miles an hour, and you can't seem to stop and catch your breath. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, what am I focused on? What am I focused on? I find in my life, it's so easy for me to focus on me. Why did this happen to me? Why did God do this to me? Why couldn't this happen to somebody else? And the problem is, my focus is wrong. You see, life is filled with all kinds of events we can't explain. You ever had somebody ask you why would a good god send people to hell? The question's wrong. We're saying why did god do that to so and so? In Genesis chapter number 3, Satan asks Eve the question and what's the foundation of the question? God's holding out on you. You see the focus is all wrong. And when we get stuck in these unexplained events, whether it's trouble at the house, trouble at work, Trouble with your family, trouble with your vehicles, trouble with anything, financial trouble, medical trouble, all right, emotional, whatever the trouble is, we get sucked into this, oh man, what are we gonna do? And the problem is the events in our life, no matter how large or small they are, can completely derail our walk with God because we choose not to focus. Now, understand, understand. god sees a sparrow fall out of the sky he cares about everything that happens in your life every single thing okay but if you're like me the big things i'm it's way easier for me to say okay god's got to handle this i can't do a thing the small things that's what throws me in the in the cycle right the car's got to get parts for gone we weren't planning on this why is the car got to break down why can't it just run we drive it nicely. We don't wreck into stuff. Why can't the car just run? And we get so bad. Bened- it's a small thing. It's a car. The other question that comes to mind, Brother Bill, is you expected your car never to have issues? Is that realistic? Right? The truth of the matter is our focus is way off. And when we stop looking and following the Lord and we get consumed in, why is this happening to us? Does God really love me? Am I, am I doing what God wants me to do? Or, or sometimes it's just the simple question, why? We miss it. The truth of the matter is, if we focus on these events like Jesus does, the context makes it so much easier to handle. And so we want to look here in John chapter 11. We're going to read a, a bit of a lengthy portion. Um, we're going to start in verse number 17. The background of this story, Lazarus is sick. Okay, We know the story, Lazarus is, Lazarus is sick, he ends up dying. Jesus shows up, raises him from the dead. That's the Cliff Notes version, so if you want to go to sleep now, you can. You know what happens. All right? John chapter 11, verse number 17, right in the middle of the story. The Bible says Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain, that's Lazarus, in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went away and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him. And let him go. Father, would you help us this evening? Would you help us to have open hearts and open ears to understand what you would have us to do tonight in our life? Father, would you also, Lord, touch my tongue, clear my mind, help me to say only what you would want to be said here tonight? Lord, I submit myself to your will. Use your word as you promised you would to speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We find here this this story of the death of lazarus is very relatable if you've ever had anybody close to you die you can understand what mary is feeling and you can understand what martha is feeling and you can kind of understand what the people that are nearby that came to support them are feeling but we tend to focus too much on what well what's mary feeling what's martha feeling what are these people feeling and we miss the point of the story. I want you to see some things tonight that, that really help us when we face these things. What we're going to talk about tonight is that phrase in verse number 40, if thou wouldst believe. Because I don't believe any of us in here are ignorant of what God's power is. We know, if we're honest, we've seen Him work in our life in the past. We've seen great things done by God. But knowledge and action are two different things. And the problem comes when we know what we are supposed to do. We know what we're supposed to feel. We know what we're supposed to think. And we choose to go the other direction. All of us are guilty of this. If we're honest, more frequently than we would like to admit. Uh, If you're like me, I'm a planner. I love planning things out so that I know this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And when this doesn't happen when it should... Now, I'm old enough, I control myself, I don't hit people anymore, but it's still the urges inside. If you're close, yeah, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to be here at this point. We're supposed to have already all this stuff set up. What happened? Right? But again, I get cranked up. Why? It didn't happen according to what I thought should happen. And so as we go through this, uh, this story, this, this real story in John chapter 11, I want to look at three things tonight. The first thing we want to look at is what we see. What we see when difficulties, disappointments, discouraging events, unexplained events happen in our life, what do we see? Look with me here in verse number 14. We see the problem, right? I, I recently took my vehicle to get work done on it, and they gave it back to me and said, We ain't doing the work. There's these other things wrong with it. You've got to fix that before we'll do the work on it. I'm like, Just do what I told you to do. Well, don't worry about the other stuff. And what's the first thing I saw? The problem i got to fix this vehicle. That's going to cost money. It's going to cost time. When are we going to fit this in the schedule? What do we see? We see the problem. Look at verse 14. What's Jesus say? He tried to say it earlier, but apparently it wasn't clear enough for the disciples. I can relate to that. What's Jesus say? Verse number 14, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's not sleeping like taking a nap. He's dead. That's the problem. If you look down at verse number 21, what's Martha say? Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. Later on, Mary, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. Their focus is on the fact that Lazarus died. You say, isn't that the biggest thing? It's not. God knows what the biggest thing is. Now, I find it interesting. I didn't put the dots together on this till today. Mary and Martha say the exact same thing. Why? Now we're going to hypothesize. This is not in the Bible. This is in the concordance of Mr. Davies. Right? Is it possible, just like us, when something bad happens, we commiserate with people? We say, oh, it's so bad. I know, it's really bad. Oh, what a terrible time we're having. Yes, this is a terrible time. And they, they started rehearsing to each other. This is how bad it is. This is the terrible thing that happened. If God would have been here, we've got to blame it on somebody. If God would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. They show up with the same So statement. What do we do when things go bad? We want to go find somebody to make us feel better about it. We want to go commiserate with somebody. Oh, what a terrible time. And what do we expect our friends to do? Yes, it's a terrible time. If we got good friends, what do they say? Well, it is bad, but God's still good. But now that's not acceptable, right? Don't say that. You're supposed to make me feel good. You're not supposed to correct me. If, If you're married to a godly woman, this is what happens most of the time when we get out of line. They say, well, you know... No, I don't want to know. I just want you to listen, okay? (laughs) I started a fight in the church again. Hey, what do we see? The problem that we see is not the problem. It's not the problem. What is the real problem? If you read the rest of them, we'll get there. It's the fact that they don't have any faith. Their unbelief is governing their thoughts, their actions, and their attitudes. Why? Because they missed the real problem. They don't get it by the end of the story either. All right? We, have, we don't see the real problem. Why? Because we can only see right here. Now, other people who see you struggling with this problem say, oh, the solution is right there. Look, you're, you're too close to the problem. We say that, right? Too close to the problem. You can't see the forest for the trees. All right? No, the issue is we're not focused on the right thing. The problem, what else do we see? Well, when we, something happens, we identify the problem. Problem solvers. We see the problem, and then we say, well, this is how I would have done it differently. Right? Look at what it says. Verse number 21. Martha said, Lord, if thou hadst been here. Jesus, the solution is super simple. You should have been here. Now look back at verse number one, or verse number, let's see, verse number three, excuse me. We find out in verse number two that Lazarus is sick. I did some legwork. You know what that word sick means? It doesn't mean unto death. That means he's sick. He's not great, but he's not dead yet. Okay? His sisters send a messenger to Jesus, say, Lord, behold him who thou lovest is sick. Now, where Jesus was to where Lazarus is is under two miles. Jesus said, boys, pack it up. We're headed to the road. But he didn't. He, it almost feels like he kind of, well, okay, thanks. thanks. Okay, we're trying to do something here. Thanks. Okay, go away. He's not dead at the beginning of the chapter. And so the, the understanding that Mary Martha Howard say, if you would have been here, if you would have came when we sent for you, this problem wouldn't happen. And is that true? Yeah. Is that the point? No. They missed the point. But it is true. We say, God, if you, I prayed about this two weeks ago, and you didn't answer. If you would have answered on time, this problem wouldn't happen. And we question what God's doing. Why? Because it doesn't fit what we think he should do. You see, we, we see the problem that we think is the real problem. And then we, then we say, oh, this is how we should have done this differently. Uh, there, there's a better plan, God. Uh, you, should have, I, you should have listened to me. I had the answer. Look at verse number 37 also. This is not Mary Martha. This is the group of people that came to comfort Mary. 37 says, and some of them said, could not this man... Which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Is that a good question? Is it true? Yeah. Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. The last miracle that Jesus did in this area was the man who was blind. And he healed his sight. It's like, we saw him do that. Why is this any different? And they're right. God had the power not only to heal the blind man, but also to keep Lazarus from dying. But they missed the point too. The point is not to stop Lazarus from dying. It's to show how much power God has. And so they see the problem. They said, this is how I would have done it differently. But look at verse number 25 and 26. Martha does not get this. Okay, We, we don't want to give Martha a hard time because we don't get it either. So we can relate to this. Jesus says he's going to rise again. Martha says, yes, Lord, I know I've been paying attention to your teachings. I know when everything's said and done, there's a resurrection of all the saved people. I know that's happening. She gives assent to the fact that there is a resurrection coming. Jesus said, you missed it. You shouldn't be looking forward to the resurrection that's coming. You should be looking at the resurrection that's here. Look what it says in verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So, Jesus is drawing attention to Mary and Martha's problem. The third thing that we see when we confront these problems is the little piece of the puzzle that we can see. Please understand this. And this needs to become the foundation of our thinking when we hit these difficulties. We can see a little piece of a masterpiece, we can only see a little piece. If we can only see a little piece, how dare we say this is not the right way to do it? If you've ever done some kind of jigsaw puzzle, right? Some people love jigsaw puzzles. Some people hate jigsaw puzzles. Right? I'm on this side. Right? I have better things to do than to I mean, unless we're on vacation and nothing else better to do and it's raining and there's a th- flood watch and the car's broke, you know, then the house is the only thing safe to be in. Maybe we'll do jigsaws, right? But look what it says in verse number 40. I can, I, I can relate to this. Okay, so I'm a teacher, I'm a parent. Those of you who are teachers and parents or just parents or just adults, you understand this. Jesus told her, here's the solution. I am the resurrection of life. Let's circle back around. Time number two, we're going to tell her. Verse number 40, Jesus said to her, said I not unto thee. What's he saying? are not you listening? I already answered this question. Said I not unto thee, if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. Martha didn't get it. Now, in her defense, neither do we. We have a hard time distinguishing from what's happening now and what God wants to do. We think, God, you've you, 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 you messed up. You must have been busy. I know you love me, but there's something else that must have distracted you. And we, in our mind, at least, we utter all kinds of heretical thoughts that when we sit down and we say, was that really true? We are saying, no, I know that's not true. I know what God's word says, but you don't understand the problem I'm facing. You don't understand the mountain that's in front of me. You don't understand how big this issue is. And so a lot of times when we hit these problems, what do we see? We see the problem as we see it. We see what we would have done differently. And then we look at the small piece of the puzzle that we can see. But then if we're wise, let's step back and take another look at this story and look at what Jesus knows about us. You understand, it. you would readily admit, Jesus knows everything about me. My wife may not know everything, my friends may not know everything, but Jesus knows everything about Aaron Davies. We say, yes, we agree. So what's God know? Well, Psalm 103 verse number 14, he says, "He knoweth our frame." Because I mean, He knows we're, we are human, and that our weakness is based in our humanity. Your spiritual side is not the weak side of you. It's the one that wants you to do right and serve God and be like Jesus. The human side is you is the one that keeps dragging you down into the dirt. And if we go to Isaiah chapter 55, what do we find? God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You missed it. If you think, well, Jesus, I see what you're doing, and this is not what I would have done. You missed it. That's not his thoughts. And we'll go back and we'll, we'll look at Isaiah in a minute. But look at verse number 21:22. What does Jesus know about us? Well, first of all, and hear this, this is any time I hit this wall, one of these three things are true. Most of the time our responses are marred with tired, emotionally spent, and unspiritual thinking. That's where our problem is. You say, is it really that simple? You ever heard, well, if you're facing a problem, go take a nap? There's some truth to that. Have, what's the first time my wife? First thing my wife asks you: Have you eaten today? If you haven't eaten, don't try to face problems. That's a bad choice. It's not going to end well. You say, "Well, I was up till four o'clock this morning." That's probably why you're dealing with this problem. I was uh, well. It's just been. I haven't had a break, and i have just been going, and this problem won't go away. Maybe you need to step back and say, "I need to reset. I need to reorient myself on our Savior." cuz look what happens we can understand what mary says and what martha says why cuz we're human if god had not been here if god had been here my brother who i love wouldn't have died but where is that coming from think okay so this is so we're taking a step into the between the lines you ever been if you've had somebody close to you pass away the next 3 or 4 days are a lot Dealing with the emotional and the physical trauma and then planning and then organizing all while you're still grieving and not having time. That's where Martha's living right now. Right. I think that's one of the reasons why God doesn't jump her case because God understood this is the problem. We're facing this in in a state of mind that is not productive and honestly is not reality. Right. My van got back to me didn't get the thing done because it got all these problems. Why? And yet, God gave me the wisdom years ago to build up an emergency fund so that when my car all of a sudden doesn't work, I have money sitting there. It's not like, oh, no groceries this week. we got to buy $400 worth of car parts. Right? I don't have to do that. Why? God gave me the wisdom to plan for this. But what was my first reaction? $400? Where's that going to come from? Why? It's all up here. And it's, it's, I'm frustrated. Why didn't this happen? Oh, I've been dealing with this. And then there's four other things that are happening. And these three other things that are going to happen next. And we always wait for the other shoe to drop instead of saying, Lord, what's the plan? And what do we do? We, our responses are so often marred by these physical issues that could very easily be resolved. And then look at what she says in verse 22. But I know. She has the solution. Jesus, you weren't here, but here's how we're going to fix this. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Notice what Jesus did not ask God the Father for in verse 41-42. He didn't ask him for the ability to raise the dead. Why? He already had that. He didn't have to run to God the Father and say, Oh, please give me some power to do this for my friends. No, he already had the power. Martha missed it. Why? She wasn't thinking straight. What else does Jesus know about us? Look at verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That phrase, groaned in the spirit, and the word troubled, literally. Uh, so, this is not my intelligence, I borrowed this. All right? uh, the word groaned there literally is the same Greek word that they use when a horse gets upset, and wants to take off. You can see Jesus in his spiritual righteous anger be like, Seriously? I've been here how long? What's he upset about? Look at at what's happening in verse 33. Mary's weeping, and the Jews which came with her are also weeping. You say, "Why why is he getting bent out of shape about them crying? Isn't that normal? The problem is they're not crying because, oh, Lazarus isn't here anymore. What are they crying for? If Jesus doesn't do this to raise him from the dead, we have no hope. She just said she believes in the resurrection. But yet they are mourning like people who have no hope. What's the other thing that Jesus knows about us? He knows our unbelief. Understand that our unbelief grieves our Savior. Now, he has righteous anger, so he didn't just go and let somebody have it, get it together, don't you know who I am, it, it literally affected his physical being. That, that word trouble literally has the connotation of physical movement. Right? You ever been so angry, you went, mm, stuff starts shaking, you're trying to, okay, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Right? Now, Jesus doesn't respond in selfish or sinful anger, but in his righteous anger, he's like, they just don't get it. And what happened? He asked the question, where have you laid him? And he said, Lord, come and see. And then later on, what's it say? Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself coming to the grave. Why? He's watching all these people. Jesus weeps. Why? Because he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with our grief. He weeps. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. But guess what happens? On the way to the grave, there's still all this crying happening. And these people say, oh, that Jesus is crying because he loved Lazarus so much. And other people are saying, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he come raise him from the dead? He healed the blind man. Again, Jesus, oh, come on. You're missing it. Now, it's safe to assume that some of the people in this crowd were not people there that followed Jesus. There are probably some Pharisees present. There are probably some Sadducees present. There are probably some friends who were Jewish but not followers of Jesus. But it grinds against our Savior when we don't believe what He's already told us. What else does Jesus see? In verse 39 and 40, we find Jesus knows we have trouble listening. It seems simple, but none of us are confused about what God can do. And yet when we get into a situation, it seems like we have a mind wipe. I don't know what God can do. This is why it's a good good thing to remind yourself from time to time what God has done. Now we say, yes, Jesus saved me. And I agree, that's the greatest miracle that happened in my life. But remind yourself about some of the other things, some of the selfish things. Okay, you say, we're supposed to pray for selfish things? Well, sometimes we do. I remember... Uh, probably four years ago, we were praying for a new vehicle. And we try to teach our kids, teach your kids to pray, teach your kids to pray. When they want snow, all right, let's pray about it. Why? If it snows the next day, guess what happened to your child's prayer faith? Okay, so it's worth the risk, all right? Sprinkle some flour on the, look! Okay, whatever. Um, But we're praying for a van. I said, girls, we pray every night. I said, girls, what do you think we should pray for in a van? Well, we want it to have one of them things where you can play a DVD in the car. And I'm like, okay. Anything else? Um, we want the seats to lay down. Okay. All right. They're like, really? That's the biggest thing you got going on. Is you want a DVD player in your van? And so I asked my wife, what do you want? She's like, well, I want it not to have cloth seats. I want it to have fake leather or some kind of seats that are not cloth. And I said, okay. And so we started praying. You gotta walk up to the house and see what we got. It's exactly what we prayed for. I didn't pray with faith. Let me tell you, I'll be the first one. I did not pray with faith about the the DVD thing and the laying down seats because I'm like, okay, but I'll say it anyways because I want my kids to know I'm praying, right? It's good for you to go back and remind yourself. Look what God did. Look what God did. If it's been a while, maybe it's time to pray about something. Maybe it's time for us to say, you know what, Lord, I'm serious about this. I'm going to pray because I know you're going to answer. Said, but, but he didn't answer right away. Yeah, I know. That's called God Knows Best. And God knows we have trouble listening. So, what's he do? He repeats himself and repeats himself and repeats himself. And his parents would say, I told him four times. How did they not get it? And every time I say that inside my head, I'm like, I don't know if it's the Lord or if it's my logic saying, Yeah, well, how many times did it take God to get you to obey? And I'm like, Okay, let's try one more time. Because <laughs> five's the number, right? <clears throat> As we look at this passage, we see what we see when we hit a trouble. We see what God sees in us and knows about us when we hit trouble. But we want to bring this around to what's the point. We want to look third of all about what we know about God. Now, we could look throughout the Bible and study... All of the facets of Jesus' character and all of his person and his Godhead, we could do that. But we're just going to stay in John chapter 11. I want you to notice a couple of things. Look at verse number 3 through 5. I found this interesting. I knew this, but the fact that it's stated caught my attention. Verse number 2. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Pay attention to what is said in verses 3, 4, and 5. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Look at verse number five. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. This is not the love of Jesus loves the world. This is a personal friendship love. What do we know about Jesus? First of all, he loves us publicly. The people knew. That Jesus loved Lazarus and loved Mary and loved Martha. That wasn't even the question. You say, why is that such a big deal? Next time you say, Lord, Lord, why? Why right now? Couldn't we have done this some other time? You need to stop and say, okay, first of all, I know that Jesus loves me. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. It doesn't get simpler than that. What else do we know? Look at verse number 11. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now, knowing the context of the story, we know exactly what he's saying. Lazarus has died, but I'm going to raise him from the dead. What else should bring us comfort that we know about God? Not only does he love us publicly, but he knows what, is, what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. That means when that problem hits and we're like, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. It's not my job. Now, I'm supposed to work, I'm supposed to be frugal, I'm supposed to be wise and a good steward of God's money, but I can't. I can't. Why? That's God's job. One of the biggest battles that I've faced in my life in the past couple of years, and I've had conversations with friends of mine about this, I have to learn to discern what I can do something about and what God's problem is. Now, not that sounded wrong, what God's problem is. What problems are God's to deal with? Because truth of the matter is, if I looked at all the problems I have faced in the last year, a little piece over here is probably the ones I have to deal with. And the rest of them, God's in control. I can't go back and change the past. I can live what God tells me to do today, but I definitely can't do anything about the future. Why? That's in God's hands. And so when we hit this wall, we need to stop and say, okay, the Lord knew this was going to happen. Now, we're not Calvinists. We don't believe, okay, everything's predestined to happen in our life. No, we say, God knows. But then we go, God knows what I'm feeling right now, what's happening right now. And God knows where this ends. Now, here's the good news. You look at the end of the story, despite the unbelief that fills this chapter, God still raises Lazarus from the dead. Why? Because his plan was to bring glory to himself. Not to say, oh, well, Brother Bill, you messed up again. No prize at the end. That's not how God works. He loves us publicly. He knows what's happened and will happen and what is happening. Verse number 25. Jesus said said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Look at this phrase. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Not only does God love us publicly and he knows what has happened, what is happening, what will happen, but he has command of the situation. He is in charge. You see, it doesn't look like it. Everything's falling apart. God is still on the throne. That hasn't changed. So what's the deal? What's the problem? pastor and I were talking about politics last week, and there's rumors of certain people that live on the West Coast running for president. I have relatives that live in that state, and I know firsthand how bad it is. Guess what? I can start having anxiety, have to take a pill to solve my ulcers. Why? Because I'm so worried about what could possibly happen to this dear America we love. And I missed the point. God's still on the throne. It's, and it, I have to, so I'm not preaching from a position of authority, trust me. I had to do this yesterday. Come back to God's still on the throne. I know this is bad. God is still on the throne. Now I had to get my attitude right and it took a little while to get that, to that point. But God is still on the throne. You face a health emergency, you find out you have cancer, you find out all your money in the stock market just disappeared, right? That's really bad. You're right, but God's still on the throne. God is still on the throne. And if we grab that, then it's like, oh, well, if God's in charge, why am I so cranked up about this? And then I want you to look, turn with me, keep your fingers here in John chapter 11, but look back at Jeremiah 29. I want you to see this verse. You know this verse, but it's good for us to read it sometimes. And I wanted to draw your attention to a specific phrase in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah is is delivering a message to the Jews that are in the captivity. Promising that God will redeem them. But look at verse number 11 of Jeremiah, chapter number 29. Verse number 11. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Uh, let's stop. This is not in the message. Who better to know the thoughts of God than God? You ever had your children second guess why you're doing something? I love when that happens because I know what I'm doing. And I ain't going to tell them, I'm going to let them look like an idiot. Why, but Dad, oh, and I'm sitting there thinking, we're going to ice cream, we're going to get ice cream. But I'm not telling them why. That's an important lesson for me to learn. Okay, back to where we were. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. What's God's plan? He wants you to live in peace. Peace does not mean free of problems. Peace does not mean free of trouble. Peace does not mean I'm just happy as a duck all the day long. Peace means I know God's in control. But look at the phrase at the end of the verse. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. If we know our God, what is the ending we can expect? It's going to be great. Have you studied about heaven? Come on. Okay, so let's put it in context just so you all know. I I enjoy having a decent-sized house, but not a house that's big enough for my wife to have to clean every day of the week to keep it clean. But I also don't want to live too close quarters because i got six kids and we need some space, right? There was a gentleman who did math calculations, not my strong suit, on the four-square city of God. And if we take the dimensions of the city of God, every single... And so we estimate how many people have lived in the history of the world from Adam and Eve to the current day, there's enough room for all of us to have a 3,000-foot house, 3,000-square-foot house. Okay, now I'm not going to ask you how many of you have 3,000-foot how many of you don't have that, but that's a pretty nice house, especially in modern-day standards where we live in luxury compared to the past generations. You mean, oh, uh, well, Mr. Davies, I don't know if I really want to live in that house. Well, here, let me, let me sweeten the deal for you. There's a tree that has different fruit every year, every month, excuse me, Brother Earl's about to come out of the chair. (laughs) Fruit, a different fruit every month. I like fruit. Some fruits I like okay, some fruits I really like. I've never had fruit that was grown in heaven. And you know what else? There's a street made out of gold. Now, you can't take it with you. Why? Because you live there, and you don't have need of it. And we spend eternity with God. It doesn't get better than that. That's our expected end. Now, back to John chapter 11. In the context of John chapter 11, what's the expected end? What's Mary and Martha want? They want Lazarus back. And you've heard preaching about how Lazarus, thought, what he felt about this. Lazarus is literally, according to the context, of the, in Abraham's bosom. He is having the time. He hasn't even got properly introduced to everybody. And Lazarus come forth happens. I would love, Brother Helms, I would love to see his expression. When they took that napkin off. I bet you he looked at Mary Martha. Like, this is your fault. You should have left me alone. What do, we, what do we know about our God? He brings us to the expected end every time. You think back in your life, there's never been a point at which the problem presented itself and God didn't give you a solution. What's the Bible say? We'll not be tempted above that ye are able. What does that mean? We're going to be tempted and it's going to push us to the limit. But where's the Where's the solution? that through God's Word and Jesus Christ, there's a way to escape. Escape doesn't mean get out of it. It means go through it. Now you say, man, Mr. Davis, we agree with that. Amen. Yeah, now. You ready? It's time to practice. Yeah. What are you facing right now? What problem has come up this week? What issue has shown up at work, at your house, in your home, with your friends, that you have tunnel vision on? That's the question. Because this, yeah, we agree. We, that's what the Bible says. Amen. And I agree, too. And yesterday, I forgot all that for about three hours. And I had a, okay, back around, all, okay. All right, Lord, you're still in control. Now, I'm not saying we're always get to the point where the problems are up. We're like, oh, good, Jesus is going to do something. But you know it's become a common saying around here? When we talk about how all everything's going haywire and stuff's going down the toilet and it's blowing up in our face, we must be trying something really good or really bad. We're either so far away from God's will we don't know it, or God's getting ready to do something. I tend to lean towards God's getting ready to do something. Why? Why? Because we spent the last couple years trying to draw closer to the Lord. And so tonight, I can't answer the question, what are you battling? I can't. I don't know. Now, some of you, I know we've been praying about stuff and we have health issues and other things. But the question still is, what are you battling right now inside that you're not willing to let God be in control of? Because when we try to fix it, we make it worse. But we have to, we have to take the perspective that Jesus Christ offers us. In, in, this, in John chapter 11 to make sure that we're, we're letting God be in charge and our focus is on Him and not on the problem.